Easter. Four days of outdoor adventures, work in the garage or doing stuff around the home or even in the garden. you got to love that. Bring on the jobs and pile them up. 101 long weekend jobs ready to tackle. You could be in the outdoors, putting your four-wheel drive to the test, tearing down an internal wall or maybe putting a new one up, or even repurposing an old wine barrel for an outdoor table. Whatever the task over Easter, Trojan Tools are up for the job. Trojan Tools. Quality tools at DIY prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Available in store or online at Bunnings Warehouse. Trojan. Tools built tough. The AFL season is underway and you can now watch every game of every round live on KO. Games of the round include Carlton vs Richmond on Thursday night. These games don't get much bigger than this and no matter where these teams are on the ladder, it's always a blockbuster. On Friday night, it's Collingwood vs Sydney. Speaking of big games, these two do not play a bad one, especially with Brody Grundy and Taylor Adams now playing for the Swans against their old mob, the Pies. And on Saturday afternoon, it's Essendon vs Hawthorne. The line in the sand. Gee whiz, this could be exciting two young up-and-coming teams watch live now with no ad breaks in play 4k capabilities have arrived you can now watch selected afl games in detail so clear you think you're part of the action new to ko get on board and start your free trial today G'day guys and girls, hope you're having a fantastic bloody holiday. I'm missing you all so much. Uh, I thought, you know, while we're all chilling on our road trips, uh, spending time with friends and family, you might even be in the garden listening to this. I thought we'd just, you know, check in, hope you're all well, sending you love and wishing and happiness. Hope Santa was good to you, hope the new year's great. Um, I'm sure I'm having a lot of fun whilst uh, whilst we're all listening to this on, on a good break and hopefully ready for a big, big 22. Hey, before we do that, I want to recap the the best of sport. This is this is what we're going to go through today. A bit of our favorite episodes that we had in 2022 of our sporting type shows, and um, yeah, talk about which ones we love, which ones we didn't. Hopefully, through this, you know, you might discover even one that you might not have listened to, and you can go back and and have a listen to those eps uh, in full. So we'll play a little bit of a snippet, talk about why we liked it, what were our favorite parts, and and go from there. Today, you will hear from such episodes as Simon Black, Nico Hines, Maddie Lloyd, Harry Mackay, Nick Rewalt, the BNF winner, Ned Brockman, Cal Toomey, Nathan Jones, Mason Cox, Big Brian Taylor, Dyson Daniels, Joe Watson, Lucas Herbert, and Angus Brayshaw throughout it all. So let's get started and let's get into it. First and foremost, let's go to one of my favorite people of all time, my big, big star, one of the most incredible chats that I've sort of had. And when I say incredible chats I've had, it was just one that I was super, super anxious about because this guy was honestly my favorite player growing up, um, being one of my heroes for such a long time. Um, loved chatting with him about his career and and everything um, that he spoke about in that show. I'd have to say the highlight of me for this episode was probably the story where he was at the Brisbane Lions and he was a young guy getting a little bit ahead of himself and um, he had a really good reality moment check that that was awesome that he it really, really stood out to me um, because I think we'd be lying if – everyone would be lying if they've never had one of these moments where you just feel like you're killing it, you're doing well and um, you don't think that you know, you've know you've grown out of all these old habits that you don't need to do anymore, but this was such a awesome, raw, authentic moment that I really, really loved and could definitely resonate with. Uh, this was Simon Black from episode 169. If there's one person, and I was really lucky enough to speak with Vossi recently, actually, at the AFL, I was doing a little chat with him there, and it was unbelievable. And I asked him this question, I said, if there's one person you loved walking out next to, who was it? And and he said you. Why do you think that was? Do you, do you, can you answer that question? Is it is it? I know, obviously, it's a, a hard question to answer, but he, he said that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he probably probably feels bad for flogging me so much. <laughs> it's like 18, 19 year old. <laughs> oh, look, we, we we had a great 
on-field relationship. And I just, I knew what, obviously, I was going to get from Vossi and I always like to think he knew what he was going to get from me. And I, mm. I just used to, you know, I used to try my best. That was that was it. And that's what I try to pride myself on, knowing that I have a crack. If, you, if you're not overly big, I've always been pretty skinny. The, the most I played at was 82 kilos as an inside midfielder and not overly quick. You've got to work hard and you've got to run and you've got to, you know, I mentioned earlier about reacting quickly and having good game sense and all that, but you've got to be willing as a foundation to work hard. And that, that was sort of, that was my thing. And, and not get ahead of yourself. I, I didn't mention earlier, but my second year, my, my mum came over from Perth and I was very fortunate to have a great supportive, loving family growing up. And um, I had a bunch of schoolmates come over as well that weekend. We were in a car going out for dinner and, and I'd been playing senior footy for the Lions. I'd sort of tr- achieved my dream, if you like. And and we're driving along, and I'm not sure what I was, what I said, or what I, what I did, but um, I must have been carrying on like a, an arrogant little bugger. And, and we got out of the car, and we st- I started walking off towards the restaurant with my friends. And about 50 meters from the car, I turned around, Mum's still there, and she's got her head down. And I walk back towards her, and she's she's crying. I said, Mum, what's, what's wrong? What, what's happened? And she she looked up, and she goes, Simon, you've changed. You've become an arrogant little little prick essentially you know you, you're not the son that i raised you've changed oh, yeah. and for me in that that split second um after all the support and love i guess that i got from mum and dad growing up that was the best slap across the face that i, I reckon to this day i've ever got and it's always stuck with me about humility and about doesn't matter what you're fortunate to achieve in your life those that help you on the way you can never forget them and that's paramount to, to enjoying the journey with them as well not being a not being cocky Unbelievable. No, I appreciate you sharing that. It's uh, like I've been in those situations. I think any young bloke growing up is is faced with that situation. It'd be, it'd be nearly weird if you didn't get ahead of yourself at some stage, but it's a part of being able to catch it before it gets too far is probably the main part and have good people around you that bring you back. Spot on, yeah. We all get swagger, don't we? Particularly late in our teenage years. You got to. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got to. Yeah. It's swagger, but yeah, it's that, it's that realising who's helping you along the way and that respect aspect for, for those that um, – yeah, love and care for you dearly, I guess. That's yeah. awesome. What a star Simon Black is. Um, just an all-around good guy. People say don't meet your heroes. I definitely do not agree with that. He was just a beautiful human. Um, got his number since too and uh, actually texting. You could actually say that Simon Black and I have friends, which is uh, my my 15-year-old self would be absolutely very giddy with that one. Moving on, we have Nico Hines. Um, good mate of Darcy's from the Melbourne Storm originally. It was a really cool one. Like It's one of these ones where... You go into these episodes, you don't actually know the person at all from from nothing. You just know them from obviously who they are on the screen and you hear a little bit about their story. But yeah, the way he came in, I was I was just so um, grateful for him to come on the show without knowing anything about it. Obviously, he's not you know a, a massive rugby league um, audience that come on, but to share his message and how important that was um, of his story, obviously was um was really really special and um with no further ado i think it's just worth having a listen to this and i will say if you know if you are going through anything right now it's a it is a triggering um it could be a triggering story for you so if you do if something does pop up after you listen to nico talk about his uh journey with with mental health this this is a bit of a snippet about you know him and, and his struggles and trials and tribulations and and um a moment for him that gave a lot of clarity with good friends around him to start getting some help. This is Nico Hines from 168. Can we talk about 2018 and obviously the, the trials that you trials and tribulations that you sort of went through when you weren't um, at your best? You know, when did you yeah, like, yeah. when well, did that you was 2017. 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I uh, moved away at the end of 2016 and got for the 17 preseason and I had a girlfriend at the time, uh, moving away from home. You know, I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. Uh, not, not heaps of money. It didn't really come from much money anyway, but... 
yeah, I didn't really know how much the expense was going to be actually getting away, moving home. This is up to, um, to up Brisbane? To, this is up to Mackay. Mackay. Up to Mackay, North Queensland. And I did work with the NRL doing like just going to school, teaching them how to play footy and whatnot. And that job wasn't going to start until like pretty much footy season started again. So I didn't have a job when I first got there. I was struggling to find work and my money was running out real quick. You know, obviously I have to pay rent for the first time, mm-hmm. do shopping, you know, buy petrol, all this sort of stuff. And then... Come home for the Christmas, went back up, still struggling a little bit, and that's sort of when it all come crashing down a little bit. It hit me that you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this on my own. So I had to bring up my dad and off and borrow some money off him. He chucked me five hundred to a thousand, and probably had to do the same to my mom. And I wouldn't tell them after that that I started struggling a little bit. And then me and my missus started started going downhill hell of a lot, and just wasn't working. And yeah, a lot of things happened in that sort of thing. I won't really touch on, but we ended up breaking up and. Uh, it all just crashed, come crashing down, and the one time was a domino effect. You know, the no money, no job. Me and the girlfriend just split up. My first, like, pretty much my first love, just split up, and um, yeah. And then I think I didn't really realize that at the time, but everything that happened with me mum and um, other things in life, it all sort of um, I don't know how to explain. But I went to a doctor, and he just said, "Look, everything that's happened in your life before, you'd never really resolved. All this has all happened again. It's all it's all built up, and you're just going through similar." things even though it's not the exact same but um the similar mindset the similar um heartbreak that you had with your mum just the similar heartbreak you've had now it's just all added up and crashed down and he just said mate i, I reckon you've got depression and we're going to diagnose you with depression and you're going to go see people i'm going to put the steps in place for you to talk to people and, and we're going to move move on with this and i was that far out for some reason uh, i had a lot of embarrassment at the time um i went home and just to start bawling my eyes out to my roommate Aaron Booth, and he's just like, "What's up?" And I said, "Man, I've just been diagnosed with depression." And um, he said, "It's okay. Like, you know, you're gonna fix it." And I was just, I was like, "No, I'm embarrassed. Like, how can you know the popular kid at school? I had a lot of friends. Uh, I was a f- the footy player. You know, all the footy players at school probably the same as you in, in your school. They're all the, the popular kids. They had a lot of friends. They get get the girls. Like, I was just like, how does that? I go from that to this, you know. I don't want to walk the streets anymore. I don't want to go be seen by anyone, you know. But no one knows what's going on. But in my head, I was just like, I don't want to go out. I want to go see near anyone. Just the embarrassment, and I was just so upset that that could have happened to me, because I just had no idea what it was and what it meant for me to move forward. And um, like you were saying before, like when you were going to see your psychic, whatever, yeah, whoever you see, you just feel like every time you go there, you're sweet. But then afterwards, you're like, I needed that. Every time I'd go there, I felt like the late days leading into it to go see the counsellor, I was like, no, nah, I don't need it anymore, I don't need it anymore. But then going in and, and then they make me feel and recognise what actually is happening. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is why I come to see you. And then, but the first person I seen, I was sort of like, uh, I don't really know if this is the one working for me. And then um, the second person was a bit better. And then that, that off season, because I had a bit of an up and down time in that part. And um, I went, that off season, I went home and had a massive like, reunion with all my best mates and it was silly because I got on uh, a bit of the party drugs and uh, drunk and got on a massive bender that whole weekend and everything come crashing down again uh, a couple of days later and I was back home back where uh, me and my ex-girlfriend used to hang out seen all these memories come flooding in and yeah that one of those days I went to work with my dad and I was just bawling my eyes out all day because I have a bit of a come down all the memories come flooding back like I just said and um yeah dad was like what's going on man like what what's what's hitting what's going on I said honestly can't explain to you like I just don't feel good one little bit and then I went home that day in that arvo and that's when a bit of suicidal thoughts come to my head and for some reason 
I was just walking around at my mum's house and there was this, she had this little bloody shed with tools and all those sort of things. And I was like, oh, I looked at, I think I was looking for a rope, but whether I would have done it or not, like it's just for me to have those suicidal thoughts in my head, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like could come to realisation a couple of hours yet, a couple of hours later, like that's what I was just doing. I said, nah, this has got to stop. And then went back up to Mackay after that off season and um, the captain of the club, his name's Tom Murphy, sat me down and just said, mate, you got to do this properly. you got the world at your feet. You're a young lad. You've got all the skill in the world. If you give this a proper go, you need, you can't, you won't ever make NRL if this is still hanging over your head. And yeah, he's pretty much told me that I've got to fucking pull my head in, like told me some harsh truths. And yeah, that's when I started doing it all properly. Instead of thinking I could just beat it on my own, mm. uh, I went and done some the counselling properly. Um, my roommate Aaron Booth helped me out a hell of a lot. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't wasn't for him, living with him and decided to uh, screw my head on, do it all properly. And yeah, I sort of done it, started playing good footy again and yeah, worked out that I could really give it another crack and I did. Mate, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Honestly, really appreciate you, you sharing no, that story right. and fuck, like, like the amount of people that would would benefit and relate to, to where, you know, you were at and what you've been through and the people you've probably saved by telling that's. Yeah. Yourself, well, that's the so. goal when I do tell yeah. the story. I don't really tell it for sympathy. I don't no. want people to, you know, talk to me about sympathising for me, but I just want to inspire people and people are going man. through the similar things and uh, they know they can beat it because I yeah. did and can still chase the dream no matter what dream you have. I, I really love the part um, that you were saying about when you, you know, you first diagnosed with depression, you're a little bit embarrassed about, about it because you think like, what the fuck, you know, why is this coming to me? Yeah. You see your first person, you see your second person, not really connecting with them, but it takes takes time takes time it's like going to like a gym or you know watching a movie you're not going to like every movie you see you're not going to like every person you meet you got to find the right match for you like was that was that similar for your process for yourself you said to find the right thing 100 percent. and there's going to be things in life for people that some things yeah like you were saying just don't work for you but you just got to keep grinding away and finding what does and yeah it took me a couple of goes to get the right one uh well it took me probably a hard talking to from yeah. um, my mate Tom and yeah and then I, I finally did find the right person and I probably put things in place outside of j- not just the counsellor but you know instead of going and getting smashed on the weekend because I'm feeling down um, you know go and have a nice dinner with your mates or don't go out as much you know train a bit more um, yeah so I just had to find what really suited for me yeah I still have to do that like that's why I hired the mindset coach because he he's made me so aware of so many things and so many awarenesses that I didn't really know of until I dug deep in, in internally and um, finding out what I need to do more. You know, like I, for example, I used to hate if after a loss, I would hate going out in public because I was so embarrassed that people were thinking the whole time that, ah, Nico, you, you're a loser. Like you lost the game last night. You suck, you know? That's what back the old me would be thinking yeah. of. But now like you're human first. You need to find what's worked for you. I can should be able to go walk the street <laughs> Uh, after a poor game or after a loss because I'm a human and um, you know that's what he's made me realise, those sorts of things. So you just got to find what works for you, what r- routine, um, you know, certain people you want to talk to. You know, I, I've always, you know, he's been telling me that I've got to surround myself with more positive people yeah. because, you know, if you're hanging out with the negative people, then it's just dragging you down and, um, you know, it can take you into a downward spiral pretty quick. 100%, man. Absolutely love that. I love the friend Tom. Yeah. Like, what a blessing that was yeah. like, for that one conversation that like, you know, for someone and without knowing his story, it was someone that maybe didn't have a talent or future that, you know, he saw in you to sit down and 
he, he didn't have to have that conversation no. with you, but for to go out of his way and do that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was massive. And do you remember it? Like, oh, where, clear as day, yeah. clear as day. And he's always been someone who's always told me the truth. Like, yeah. I've never really, other than family, that like you always have your mates who you know pump your tires up a little bit, and um, you know probably might be too scared to tell you the honest to god truth, but. Mm. He's someone who always did, no matter what, whether I was in the right, whether I was in the wrong, um, you know, even if I was joking, but it's sort of, there was a little bit of truth behind my joke. He would pull, pull it up. So he calls a spade a spade. And yeah, I just can remember he we was sitting on like the Mackay Stadium, like the grandstand, and he just dragged me out there and we we're just sitting there and he just, just said, laid down the law to me. And, um, you know, he was probably what, 28 at the time. So he sort of knew he wasn't chasing the NRL anymore, but mm. I, get, I just think he didn't want to see me maybe go down his path like he wanted to play an arrow one day but he didn't didn't quite get there and uh he's, he's probably just seen something in me and yeah we're forever grateful for, for him in that conversation we still keep in contact he's traveling the world oh, australia with his young family at the moment so we only get to call every now and then because he's in no service but every time i do it's always good to hear from him there you have it nico hines absolute star um doing incredible things on and off the field and I, i've said this a few times but you know that whole episode He's won the Dally M. He's doing incredible things at Cronulla Sharks, incredible things that he was doing incredible things at Melbourne Storm. We hardly spoke about his football, which is a credit to himself um, and how special of a human he is. So, yeah, really blessed to have him on the show. Next up, the Velvet Sledgehammer. Uh, Matty Lloyd was on the pod. Obviously known Matty Lloyd and, and grown up playing footy. Um, everyone knows who Matthew Lloyd is and how how big of a star he is in the game to get him in the in the pod. In, and we, we see what he's like on on you know channel nine and on the radio as well it's quite a serious character but also likes to have a lot of fun and i love this episode about how much he um how serious he really took his footy and and how much that's even correlated to after footy in his in his life as well he's just a he's a, he's a hard worker he loves getting the best out of himself he treats his body as a temple um and uh yeah it just it was such a it was such an awesome episode i, I really did enjoy this one as as I say a lot, but I I I, uh, I got a lot out of it. I think it was um, really beneficial for me to hear it at the right time. This seriously was probably one of my favourite parts of um of of the chat with him. I was just so you know be, I was lucky enough to be in this sort of space, and to be honest, the guy that he was talking about was was nearly me, and I feel I felt like I was his teammate that he was disappointed in when he was talking about it, but. And he's saying uh, that, you know, we took over the captaincy and that, that start with leadership. He just would even go into uh, Sheeds' office and, and slide a note across the paper and say, mate, Sheeds, this, this guy is taking us absolutely nowhere and we need to get rid of him. Um, and just how ruthless and authentic, uh, like, you know, just himself he was. And I think it's something that, you know, it's really hard in leadership. And he, I think he said himself he might have gone too far the other way sometimes, but it is so hard to give that direct feedback to people. But it was something that he was really good at and nearly had to strike the balance the other way rather than... Um, you know, normally people struggle to actually give that feedback in itself. So this was an incredibly, uh, I think this gives a really cool insight into Matthew Lloyd from episode 165. What about leadership, taking over leadership yeah. from you as captain? What was that like? Oh, it was daunting uh, because with James, it was like a security blanket. Like James, we got James, like James got us out of trouble in games uh, during the week, his ability to you hang, you hung off his every word. James heard like that's what he was like. Some of his pre-game addresses, like just as we're about to go to position, like he just had a way with words. Um, and then so it got to the end of. I was in the leadership group, but I reckon it was more on professionalism more than anything. I didn't offer that much to anyone else. It was all about my my game and how I could be the best. And I was the end of 04 and 
halves and heard he said to me, can we catch up with you? And we went out to um, a a sort of a cafe at Essendon and half said, do you want to tell him or do you want me to tell him or do you want to tell him or do you want me to? And I said, what is it? And they said, oh, 2005, I want to step down as captain, James said, and I want you to be the captain. I rocked back in my chair and I said, if I'm not playing well on game days, at half time, I'm going into a toilet cubicle and I'm sitting there on my own going, okay, what can I do to get myself into this game? That's not what a captain is like. So I reckon it'd be wrong. Can you do one more year in 05 and I'll act like a captain for the whole of 2005? And so it's no more about me. It's time to give back to others and invest in others and not just make it about me. Uh, and so yeah, I spent all of 05 where James would walk in at halftime. He'd just give me a wink and go, it's yours, it's yours. And the boys, no one knew I was going to be captain in 06, but he just gave me the license to act like and be the captain. Wow. Uh, and then, yeah, I took over in 06, unfortunately um, ripped the hammy off the bone in round three. But one of my great thrills was captaining in the club. Like Bomber Thompson was the first captain. Gary O'Donnell was the next James Heard the next, then me, and then it's been Watson and Heppel. So we don't, we haven't had too many captains before that. Tim Watson, Terry Danaher. So it's been a really privileged position over that time. What was that like for you? I know you alluded to it before, but being quite with that performance anxiety, yeah. thinking about your own performance, and then thinking holistically about the group, and then you were saying before about feedback and yeah. maybe not being able to resonate with a lot of the other mm. players. What were the biggest challenges? Yeah, we, we used to do a, that the old um, leading teams and and stop, start, keep. And I got up there, and uh, one of them was um, was keep being the professional you are, and but start giving more to the players. Like you've got so much knowledge to give, but can you start uh, giving more? And I touched on being black and white. Like say if I if say a player turned up uh, late for training, I'd started having blokes six o'clock at the pier, St Kilda Pier. In the morning, jumping off, freezing cold, let's go, let's do it again, jumping off. And then I remember I like, got to like, the fourth week and blokes still weren't weren't doing what I would hope. And I could see like the, the players who were doing the right thing were like, are you serious? Like well, how come we could keep being punished for this? Um, I'd have massive blues with Sheeds uh, and I'd go, Sheeds, this bloke, he's taken us nowhere. Like I'd walk into him and go, he shouldn't be playing for us. Like, no wonder we're fading away late in games and we're – because this bloke's on the drink on Saturday nights. He's hung over on Sundays. Should be picking this bloke. And then Sheeds had nod and then the same bloke would be picked. So I was very frustrated because um, Sheeds and I – Sheeds is very forgiving, but whereas I was just, no, nah, he's got to go. And I remember getting to the end of one year and I – handed him a sheet of paper with six names and said, Sheed, we've got to cut these six blokes. Wow. That, that's because I was just ruthless in that sense and um, didn't suffer fools in, in, in that. Um, but also I may not have done it. I probably didn't do it the right way. Um, at times I could have thought, how can we get this bloke up? Whereas I just cut. I just cut. Like, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. But, um, yeah. Did you get better at it? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Like, and that's where I retired at thirty-one, and now all these things I'm learning how to tap into people's brains and heads better now. Like, it's sort of half being a sports psych as a coach. Yeah. Um, in that, it's about what frame of mind your players are in. Are they enjoying the environment? Um, do they enjoy playing under you? Uh, you know, you're stimulating them at training. 
when do we need to mix it up and play a bit of basketball? When do we need to mix it up and have a joke and a laugh and tell a story? Um, all the t- times I'm always assessing, okay, um, when I'm talking to the players, have I, are they engaged with me? Have I gone a tad too long? Yeah, I'm forever thinking about the mindset and the are my players enjoying what they're doing in, in the environment to play good footy, whereas back then I wasn't thinking of any of that. It was just are they training hard? Are they giving 100%? How are they performing? I didn't look deeper into how players might be feeling a certain way. And, and, and I do pass that on to guys now who ask me advice. Okay, I'm potentially going to be captain or I'm, going to be, I'm captain and I give them that, that bit of advice on mm. have empathy. Don't lower your standards but have empathy for people. There you have it. Imagine being uh, playing with Matty Lloyd and not pulling your weight. It's hard to hard to think that you couldn't run out there 10 foot taller and really want to get your job done, that's for sure. Coming up next, Harry Mackay, uh, obviously a former teammate of mine. Um, I was really lucky enough to play with Harry for his first couple of years. And, um, you know, from listening to him and, and knowing what he was at such a young age to having a chat with him on the pod now, it's fair to say I'm not surprised at, at how well he articulated himself and how well across everything he was but I can't believe the work he's obviously done on himself um, both physically and mentally was was evident and how much he understands you know his own um, tidbits and his own mindsets was was honestly unbelievable so there's no reason this guy is going to be taking his game to some incredible feats in uh, in the new year and and, and already is so I um, I really really enjoyed it his, his work ethic he's so professional he's seeing people outside of the club um, and uh, yeah, it's all all absolutely yeah. It's a credit to himself. I think there's there's the program, and you you often hear athletes talk about the program, and then what you can what you can actually do outside of that. Um, and I love this chat. Here's Harry from episode one six four. Talking of your footy, okay. So obviously when I saw you coming through, big big boy, incredible kick and great skills. You know, we back in the day would hate to pump you up, but now we're <laughs> we're embracing the uh, love for each other. Um, well, one way anyway. You've you've come leaps and bounds. It's, it's always been a pleasure watching you develop because um, when we were playing, I think that you know your big boy took a long time—not a long time—but you had to earn your keep, and the, the the team wasn't good enough to really even for you to play in to actually get the ball down to you. So there's a lot of time we had to sort of develop and go away. What was I suppose? Is is there a short answer in this of like how you got the confidence in yourself to start playing consistently at the top level? Yeah, definitely. I reckon there's probably a, a key moment and it was midway through 2018. Um, I don't think – I I played two games the year before at the end of the yeah. season, just kind of, you know, give me games. Um, and started off 2018 in the twos and then I had a couple – three or four games in the in the AFL after that, but wasn't playing great. Um, team wasn't going great. Mm. Got dropped back to the twos and um, – as much as anything, just really probably struggled mentally, like even just going to training, like anxiety, really anxious. Um, I remember I went home, so this is when mum and dad were still in Warrigal and I just went home to say good day for a night or whatever. And I remember mum said, you're just not yourself at the moment. You're just not, you're just not Harry. Um, and she's like, I think you should maybe see someone and get some help. And that yeah. was pretty, I was like, that's pretty full on. Like for someone to know you so well and be like, you're just not yourself. Um, it was pretty powerful. So after that, um, I went and saw a sports psychologist, Jackie Louder. Um, shout out to Jackie. She works at Collingwood now, I'm pretty sure. Um, and yeah, so basically went and saw her for a few times and to start to get the ball rolling. Um, 
and as much as anything, it was just kind of yeah, debunking some anxiety stuff and um, working through kind of a bit of a plan to one, just feel a bit more confident, a bit more happy with everything. And then two, um, how that will translate to a footy point of view. Yeah. And um, whether it was whether it was that or just circumstantial, like a couple of weeks later, I remember I got picked in the in the ones and um, after that, I think we had seven or eight games left in the year and managed to hold my spot for, for six, six, seven games. And yeah, I was played some consistent enough footy and um, I think it was just admitting that you needed a bit of help to start um, was really beneficial for me. And then that kind of springboard into a, a good summer and then 2019 and since then kind of been consistent in the team. But yeah, that was probably the moment where put my hand up and say, I reckon I need a bit of help and yeah. want to try and get the best end myself. And um, as I said, I'm not sure exactly if the stars align, but it was just one of those things that has really helped me um, since then. No, it's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that. I, I had no idea. If you don't mind me asking on that, so when you were saying you, you probably weren't feeling yourself, yeah. do you think that that was like, and you went and saw a sports psychologist, do you think that you went there thinking, okay, this is about footy, and and was it about footy or was it more just like you wanted to be more of a better person in general than, than that made you play footy better, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, good question. I think... A lot of young footballers, like their identity is attached to how they go on a footy yeah. field and right, wrong and different, that's what happens. And a lot of people talk about you have to split your identity, which I completely agree. But the reality is while you're playing footy, your identity is very closely attached to what you do um, on the footy field. So I think I went from more of a footy point of view because footy is so much of your life. Like if you're going to training games and you're just really uncomfortable and anxious mm. all the time, that's 80% of your life, you're, you know, you're anxious. So um, it probably meant, yeah, it came in from more of a footy point of view. And, um, yeah, but I think, you, you know, you get some some frameworks and some things to work through that helps not only with footy but with um, with life as well. And, mm. yeah, it was just kind of, yeah, refining some confidence and, um, yeah, a few triggers and a few things to do to, to help get the best of myself. And, um, yeah, it was a really awesome experience. What were the main, main takeaways? Like was there something that really stood out that you, you went through? A few things... I really like and still kind of think about today is you still always talk about just like be where your feet are, um, which is I think you obviously yeah. talk about it a lot. But um, yeah, not overplaying things explain, too far Explain ahead. that though, what, what it means Yeah, to so you, it's so. just like say in the past you'd always be thinking, all right, I've got, I got training tomorrow. What if I stuff up at training? What if I you know don't do this? But reality is you're at dinner with your family, just be there and just enjoy the moment and um, not think too far ahead. Um, be where your feet are and not where your mind is. So, um, yeah, I, th I think that's a really good one that you can still carry into today. It's more just probably putting in a plan to, um, yeah, step out of your comfort zone a little bit and try some things and be like, all right, this is this is the plan, so we're going to do this, 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 and just commit to that for a little while. Um, but as I said before, I think the biggest thing was putting your hand up and admitting that you needed help. and. Yeah. As a guy, you always think you're invincible and you think you've got it all sorted out. But to kind of take the ego away and say, all right, I need a bit of help here, um, that was probably just a spark that I really needed, I reckon. There he was talking about his uh, confidence and struggling to struggling a little bit mentally and what he what he resourced outside of the club and people around him to, to get some help and um, get to the best uh, possible version of himself that he could. And it's about being a good person first and, and good play second and... He's obviously doing those things um, this year. I cannot wait to see what what he's going to do in the future. I think you don't realize how big this bloke is as well. Like he's absolute monster, big two hundred pluser. We love that. Moving on to the victor, the BNF winner, the Dylan Friends BNF winner of twenty twenty three. Awesome, awesome, awesome episode. So thankful to get uh, the big Nick Rui Rewald in 
and have a chat, all things Nick Rewald. Um, I didn't know him before the podcast had started. Again, it was just a really cool one to, yeah, get him in and have a chat and learn a li- little bit more about him. A lot of these things, it was it was areas that I didn't think we'd really touch on. It was one of those ones where you have the script of the show and have a little few dot points that you want to go off, but you just go freestyle and, and have a chat. And as I said, can't thank everyone enough for the feedback for this episode. It was obviously the the winner for the reason, but um, here you have it, a little bit of a snippet. You could have picked any of these, but I thought we'd go with something that probably didn't get the credit it deserved, but it's a little bit of a chat about how to uh, work hard and, and what comes first, working hard or the success, and I think we all know the answer to that. Here it is. For people that are trying to master whatever skill it is, work, footy, netball, whatever they're doing, what do you think comes first in that? Because firstly, like you've written down what you want to do, mm. but then there's another part where you've got to go out and do it, and then the belief comes. So it's sort of like... Working out what it is, writing it down, doing it, and then actually becoming it. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it has to be, it has to be something in in, in your mind is it is achievable. Is achievable. It's got to be achievable. Otherwise, you you know you you bang your head up against a brick wall and and you do the work and, um, you know, dis, disappointment is a is a hard thing to to overcome continually. So if you're continually not getting there, well then it, it's going to be hard to sort of maintain that work ethic. So yeah, identifying what it is you you want to be, what you want to achieve, where you want to get to, um, and then what what are the actions that are going to give you the best chance of succeeding with no guarantee of success, but what 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 is going to give you the best chance? Mm-hmm. And 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 then you either do the work or you don't. You know, there's no secret. I think that's you know, that's that's probably the thing that stands out in um, in all forms of sport is there's no secret, like there's no magic formula. You just you either do the work or you don't. Mm. And and all the all the all the great players they they do the work. Some guys can bob up for a season, um, and we see it all the time. Players bob up, have a really good season, and then you wonder why they're never able to recreate it because you just got to continue to do the work. Um, that's it. Do you know what's really interesting on that point? And, and, you know, there might be players that pop to mind that jump out when I say this, but I like to think that it got to the stage where I, mean, where I was putting in, you know, every work that I could, I could do it, but things weren't happening. Yeah. But as soon as I left, those habits put me in good place for yeah. into the real world. hundred percent. And what, yeah. what happens with this is a lot of players you see in the AFL or, or whatever sport they say, they go, geez, they're dominating, but they do have those down years yeah. or whatever it is. But you see a lot of really good players maybe not be able to transition those habits into the real world because you need those habits set you up for life. It's not yeah. just a you work hard and you're going to hit the flanks and then you're going to go and not try hard at Fox footy. Like that is you're yeah. going to take that mindset into the next thing. Whereas some players, um, for example, one player that comes to mind, Nick Graham, who is a player that you know I played with and never quite got a game, was always dropped, but he's he never – changed and since yeah. then he's gone into things post footy and you go yeah. oh, well, I'm not surprised that yeah. he's successful well like a guy that comes to mind for me is a guy called Michael Ricks who you know might not ring a bell with you but he he played early 2000s and he he was just an like he was an animal he was the ultimate teammate he prepared really well and he gave himself every opportunity every chance to be a, a really good AFL footballer and it didn't work out for him but he he leaves footy he's worked all over the world he works for BP he's worked at McKinsey I think he's worked at Boston Consulting Group. Like it's you know, no shit mm. because he he's just a worker and he was always going to be successful because that would that that work ethic and desire to just get the most out of himself was ingrained. And at the same time, there are other guys you know that you know that you know weren't wired that way and and they they go on post career and and struggle. Um, 
and you know that that's another another conversation in, in itself. You know, the the what happens to players when they when they leave the game. But mm. um, yeah, like the, do the work. Robert Harvey used to say it to me, or like he would just would walk past, and every every time we played together before we'd walk up the race, he'd just say, "There's no no substitute for hard work. Like mm. just do the work." Mm. Matt uh, DeBoer's another one, so that it's going to be really. Interesting to see what he does post football. Well, like, he's he's got his like venture capital thing. Venture right? capital. Yeah. Um, he's on about four four different boards. Yeah, um, awesome. Athletic Ventures, which has got some of the best yeah. athletes in the country on it, and Plug. just one of the best operators yeah. you've ever seen. One yeah. of those guys that like you know he would just check in, call me, then within five minutes he sent like a follow up dot point email of like yeah, what nice. we just spoke about. Yeah, I like it. It's just crazy. That's like great. just a supreme operator. So there you have it. That was Nick Rewald. If you haven't heard this full episode, we've shared a fair bit of, of content about it, but there is so many incredible stories. One being probably my favorite, one of my favorite parts of it was the Eddie McGuire story where he was on the plane about to head over to the US and very timely uh, got a incredible message from Eddie McGuire pitching for him to come to Collingwood. But the, the story is better told from his perspective. Make sure you check that one out. Easter, four days of outdoor adventures, work in the garage or doing stuff around the home or even in the garden. You've got to love that. Bring on the jobs and pile them up. 101 long weekend jobs ready to tackle. You could be in the outdoors, putting your four-wheel drive to the test, tearing down an internal war or maybe putting a new one up, or even repurposing an old wine barrel for an outdoor table. Whatever the task over Easter, Trojan Tools are up for the job. Trojan Tools. Quality tools at DIY prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Available in store or online at Bunnings Warehouse. Trojan. Tools built tough. The AFL season is underway and you can now watch every game of every round live on KO. Games of the round include Carlton vs Richmond on Thursday night. These games don't get much bigger than this and no matter where these teams are on the ladder, it's always a blockbuster. On Friday night, it's Collingwood vs Sydney. Speaking of big games, these two do not play a bad one, especially with Brodie Grundy and Taylor Adams now playing for the Swans against their old mob, the Pies. And on Saturday afternoon, it's Essendon vs Hawthorne, the line in the sand. Gee whiz, this could be Exciting two young up-and-coming teams. Watch live now with no ad breaks in play. 4K capabilities have arrived. You can now watch selected AFL games in detail so clear you think you're part of the action. New to KO? Get on board and start your free trial today. Next up, we had Cal Toomey, the draft guru. I must give uh, the, the Espo and the Wolf a bit of credit for this one. This was his, uh, his you know, doing. We had an awesome um, episode with him re- leading into the draft. And, yeah, it was really, really cool to have a chat. That was episode 171. And, um, yeah, it's one of those ones we thought was going to be timely, but it's actually so evergreen. Spoke about a few past drafts, future drafts, and the impact that they've had on clubs and, and gave us a draft breakdown of how intricate these recruiters go into picking up players these days, which is really cool and interesting to find out. So here was a, um, a little bit of a snippet from that episode that we, we really enjoyed, and, and I know a lot of you did too. All right, let's talk about this year. Give us your, give us your phantom. What's your, <laughs> what's your draft looking like at the moment? And it might be better. Like, do you, do you know the picks off by heart, or do you need me to get it up? And I'm sure you. I'm sure <laughs> I know that I'll give you, uh, the top ten. I know pretty well. Yeah. Um, look, number one, and maybe even just a bit of a synopsis about the player as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my uh, phantom draft till closer to because yep, that's yep. Uh, that's prized information. I yep, haven't quite course, settled on it. I haven't quite settled on what it looks like. Okay, yet, which is like part of the this this week. I'm sort of working on like six variations of the top fifteen. It's crazy. It's like. Yep. Beautiful mind stuff. But I can imagine because even as it's not like I can imagine um, if a certain play goes in a different, it probably changes no, the whole it thing. Fucks up the whole yeah. thing. That, that's yeah. that's the biggest worry on draft nights. Like a couple of years ago, um, uh, Will Phillips went at North Melbourne pick, and like his name popping up, you could probably catch the vision of me like. <laughs> 
just slumping in my chair, yeah. like knowing what was going to happen. It was going to be carnage after that in, in the top ten because like the deck of cards just well, it was it was way too early for the deck yeah. of cards to go down. Usually it's a little bit deeper on, but yeah, um, the top end of this year, I think everyone expects um, cap or cabin to the Giants, but whether they bid or not, it's the question mark there. Um, Harry Sheasel and, and George Wardlaw. Um, very strongly linked to North Melbourne's couple of picks at two and three. And, mm. and Harry Sheasel, very exciting player, kicked 50 odd goals this year. Yeah, the Sheas, the Sheasel. Yep. Sam uh, is in the city. This is, he doesn't really like sitting in on the shows anymore. He gets over me talking. He said, This is the one I want to be in today. <laughs> avid North Melbourne supporter. He's still, North Melbourne put up a thing of Clarko talking last night. He's been, he's been watching it on repeat the whole morning. So just for any North Melbourne supporter, I've been harder on them than anyone. Is there some hope with these two players? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think that um, well, she's will kick a lot of goals. He just knows how to kick goals, and, yeah. and he play a little bit of midfield time. And Wardlaw, I think, can be what Horn Francis could have been as well, yeah. and and maybe in the future too. Wardlaw's 183, 182 centimeter mid, good overhead, kicks goals, and and. In his big games this year, he was best on ground in just about all of them. Oh, we love that. He was best on ground for Sandringham against Oakley in, in round one. Uh, for, for Oakley against Sandringham in round one. He was best on ground for the AFL Academy against the Collingwood VFL side. Big games he lifts and he's got That's a bit a of swagger. That's a big thing for me. That's a big thing for – like if I was a recruiter, it's like I would love to see who's performing well on the big stage. He doesn't need 35 touches to yep. influence a game. He can be a 23-touch man and, and – change it. And really – influential yeah. so he, those guys are there the Bombers pick is the one that everyone's talking about and look I think Elijah Sardis and Mateus Filippo are, are the guys that are, are going to be weighed up there Elijah is now correct me if I'm wrong there's been some great edits from the AFL I've been <laughs> watching on Instagram is he the athletics uh, he was doing hurdling yeah. and he's a uh, bit he, of an outside wiry midfielder yeah he, he looks good I like him he's he's this year he's actually become more of an inside as well. So yeah, he's he got said that. that great, he, yeah, 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 he wanted to make clear that he's winning the MT. I get it. I get it, mate. It's good. He's looking big recently. He is. He's I, I, great. I saw him at training uh, about a week or so ago, and he's um, he's put on some size. So he he will be a, a hybrid. Yeah, they like hybrid yep. draftees. Being a hybrid mid, he, that's that's him. 186 centimeters, and um, he had a really good year in between some injury mid season. And Filippo's 190 centimeters. Big boy. Big boy plays mid forward. Kicks long goals. He has the the brash confidence that's come through, and and it's probably got a few people talking in the lead up to the draft. There's probably always one or two players who um, speak their mind, and and he's done that. Yep, like that. So what's that? That's the that's the bombers at four. Four. And of course, Ashcroft's in there wherever the big comes. Wherever but, it comes. Uh, after that, we got Gold Coast, um, Hawthorne, and Geelong, and and Gold Coast. Yeah, you know, Ruben Jimby. Is in that mix for them. Bailey Humphreys in the mix there. Jai Clark's a midfielder who I think the Cats would like to see get through to their pick, but uh, whether he does or not, the Hawks have a, a number of players in their mix. Is he a Falcons boy, Jai Clark? He is. Yeah, okay. He's a Collingwood supporter though, so not but mm. a very local. There you go. Um, very local prospect for them. And then the Hawks have interviewed everyone. They interview more people than you. They, they, <laughs> they, I've used that line before, but Graham Norton. I really like that. That was very, very good. Uh, like that. They, they did. They did like a, a series of interviews on over the weekend with these guys for like for the fourth or fifth time. So they oh, they yeah. putting their draftees through the through the. Um, interview process. They want to know as much as they can. It's a big pick for them, but Cam McKenzie's in there. Um, Elijah Sardis, if he got through. Philippo, if he got through. So then there's that yeah. sort of mix of what the Bombers do. So it has the 
cascade of down the down the top ten. Um, who else is in that group? Jai Clark, another option there. The Cats, all the same names there. West Coast Jimby could be getting through to them as the as the local. I like Where's him Jimby, a lot. Jimby's WA boy. He is. Yep. Yeah, he's from Dunsborough, so I think two or three hours out of Perth. Yep. Um, but played some great school footy this year as well, and, and sort of one eighty nine half back. Tall mid, everyone loves a tall mid. Mm. Uh, so he's right in that group as I well. Hate tall mids, they just ruined the game for me. Well, yeah, the, yeah. the BBMs yeah. um, uh, and big body mid. That's yeah, in case yeah. anyone's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just some weird acronym they start talking about. Uh, who's after that? St Kilda's after that again. Like they're all sort of looking at the same players. Yeah. It's going to just depend on what happens. And then the Carlton comes in. Could Elijah Hollands, is his brother Ollie. Um, be a chance there. He's um, a sort of wingman, half half back potentially. He's a really good runner, five minutes 54 in the 2K. Wow. So he flies. That You tell me. Like that's that's AFL, as quick as you can get. Yeah. What, did you say 54? Yeah, 554. 554. I think the quickest I've seen, I've heard of Sam um, Walsh yep. around that, that time. Yeah. But I think the quickest I've ever seen was um, Ed Kerno. And that was just, I think, around probably 550. But that was – I say this in like – I always talk about Eddie comes up in a lot of conversations. That's not on aerobic ability. That's just on being a fucking mental, like, human. Like, he nearly <laughs> dies after those runs. Like, it's not – I don't think it's got anything to do with aerobicness. It's just more like he's so – yeah, he's just – The Kernos himself. The Kernos And then yeah. Charlie is, is just the same. And, and I think there is some running genes in the family isn't yeah there? yeah the sister eliza is an yeah. incredible um runner as well i don't know if george can run i don't think he can um <laughs> unfortunately but he's doing other good things but yeah those that that's as good as you can get on a 2k and yeah one thing with the fitness it, it again going back a while i don't think it was as respected as much as it was until i feel again correct me if i'm wrong it did for me anyway but you saw a guy like brad hill get picked up um who Stephen hill's brother yeah we look at that pick now and go, that was um, a great pick by the Hawks. But he, at that stage, probably wasn't the player. He nah. like he wasn't the player he is now. Like nah. he he was just a very he. I think he, did he's he very outside. Did he jump up because he won the two K or at the draft camp or something yeah, like that? He, he won did. the beat like, test or something. Hawthorne were, were really keen on runners at that yeah. point, and he added like he came in pretty quickly and made an impact in those three premierships. Yeah. Didn't he? like he was young yeah. at that point. The first flag was nearly ten years ago now. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he was a combine star, I guess you'd call it, and there's always a, a player who does well at the combine who all of a sudden becomes the it player of the month. Mm. And, and this year it's Ed Allen who's – Is that Oscar Allen's brother? No, WA. He's, yeah. he's Ben Allen's son who Ben used to play for Hawthorne and was Frio's first captain, but he played 98 games for Hawthorne, so he doesn't qualify oh. for the son. And, and Frio, he played 50-odd, so he doesn't qualify there either. Um I did say, what is your dad? Th- what, have you asked your dad? Like, what was he doing? Like, next yeah, couple literally. Of games, he goes, oh, yeah, I asked him. Uh, he, he sort of said he wasn't thinking about having kids when <laughs> he made the move back to WA. But he, he ran the 20-metre sprint in 2.81. Wow. His, all his other stuff was really, really strong, and he's a 194-centimetre midfielder. So, And he didn't play for the first half of the season through a back stress fracture. So all of a sudden, the clubs are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the combine does is – if you go really well, it, it means all of a sudden clubs, not that they weren't already looking at him, yeah. but they just go, oh, okay, let's just have another deeper look at that. Has he used that pace in a game yet? And when they're seeing if he's using it in a game yet, they're saying, oh, look at that handball. Has he started to use his height and handball over his head and all that type of thing come together on the back of you know this 2.81 run, yeah. which is one of the fastest ever. 
So there you have it. That was a phantom draft. He pretty much nailed it up to about pick 13, um, which was super, really, really um, interesting. Go back and listen to that chat. Like I really, really enjoyed it. If you're a footy lover, you will really love that chat. The, the Probably another part that I really love was talking about Melbourne's draft that they'd had over the years and picking up guys like Clayton Oliver, Petrarca, Brayshaw, and, and you see the impact that that had. But those picks at that stage weren't as cemented as you know they are now. So it was pretty cool how a draft can obviously make a, a team, but also can kill a couple of clubs as well. Next up, we had Nathan Jones. Again, uh, really, I've spoken about this one a fair bit, but I, I don't want to under, underestimate or understate how how cool this chat was with him and how open and honest and authentic he was by coming on the show. Um, he was super honest about you know his time at Melbourne and how heartbreaking that was for him, obviously, to miss out in the grand final and what he'd been through in that in that time. But then to be able to still push players and become the best that he could possibly be and, and bring that younger generation through and ultimately see them win the flag in his last season when he had to go home and have, uh, you know, obviously the birth of his family, which is another chapter of his life that he's, he's in now, was, was really, really interesting. And I don't think that I could articulate his message better than he did himself, um, obviously, which was uh, amongst how heartbreaking that was, the beauty that came out of it and the perspective it gave him for the rest of his life was, was pretty incredible. And, and here it was. Um, have a listen to it now. I guess what I, I look back now and I was super wrapped um, – as soon as the siren went, I was like, fuck, we've done it. Like, and I sat at home, like, supporting, like, a supporter, not, like, a teammate. Mm. Like, fucking go, like, particularly when we got a bit of a run on, we're coming back. And then once it's all over, I'm like, fuck, they've done it. Wow. And I didn't really consider my own sort of situation to probably, you know, I'd taken a few phone calls, FaceTime a few boys, and then I was just sitting on the couch in the lounge room and I was just like, fuck, so close but so far. Like, mm. it's done and I've just, like, it's like a year too late kind mm. of thing, um, which was tough, man. Like it, I probably from that moment on, I went down for probably a few weeks, I reckon. Like because I'd done like a heap of media leading up to it and I genuinely was super proud and stoked for our supporters and, you know, everyone that had been there through all of the shit mm. to finally see the club back in the position it was in. And as I mentioned before, you know, like all my teammates, like they're living their dream kind of thing. How can you not be fucking stoked for them? Like I saw all the effort they put in. I was there helping them along the way kind of thing. So I was fucking amped for them and hoping they could get the job done. But yeah, it was a few hours after the game where I started to just think of my own situation, which was tough. I, And it hit me real hard, like a lot harder than probably what I anticipated. Because it wears off. Yeah, like, like the the – well, I sort of like when the height wears off, and then you start internalizing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, like I, like for all of that, as you mentioned, like all of the hype, and I guess that the position I wanted to take as far as like my own messaging is yeah. like I still felt responsibility to be you know a leader for the club kind of thing. But when all of that responsibility was shed, and I just sat on my own in my lounge room. I was just like, that was the time where it just my whole head was like full on spinning. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a, it probably took me a few weeks, I reckon. I know it was like a roller coaster of emotion. Like, I was super happy to talk to guys on the phone. Then, like, an hour later, I'd be fucking devastated. Like, fuck. Yeah. Um, that's another reason why I did the Ironman because it was like, if I keep going this way off the back of like, 
how I feel right now, like, and I don't have any routine and I'm planning on taking some time off, like, where does this sort of go? Like, um, and I didn't want to like spiral down into feeling real depressed about it because, like, I wasn't, but you know, I was also taking it pretty hard. So, yeah, it was basically probably two conversations, really. I, I've been mentored by Jared Healy for a lot of my career, and um, I spoke to him on the phone uh, a couple of weeks after. And he was like, mate, you've just got to look at it like, you know, football is like a chapter of your life. Like it's not who you are. And like you close that chapter and now you have an opportunity to write a new one, irrespective of like what you achieved and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it is, that is what it is kind of thing. Now, like go on the next journey. Don't let that sort of define you. Um, and don't live looking in the rearview mir- mirror your whole life kind of thing. And the more I thought about that, I was like, yeah, he's fucking right, like, for sure. And then my wife sent me, I actually pulled it up because I thought you'd ask me about it. She sent me a um, like a thing on Insta. It was a quote from Maya Angelou and she said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm. And, like, the more I thought about that, I was like, fuck, that's so true. Like, the messages of um, – the messages when I retired and post game were a lot from like the younger boys that I'd had a real impact on. And this like all came full circle to like the changes that I made and the journey that I kind of went on. And then it was like for a bit of a period, I like try to close myself off to that. Like I was like, nah, I was like super stubborn. And I was like going back to that old me of like my self-worth was attached to not winning a flag. But then I had like all of this fucking love over here for like, you know, I guess my efforts and my career and what I meant to people, but I would just push it away kind of thing. And it wasn't until she sort of mentioned that that and a few good friends of mine were like, mate, you need to like open yourself up to that. That I was like, all right, I'm going to like stake in the ground. It is what it is. I missed out. So be it. I'm just going to fucking open myself up to the love kind of thing. And um and, yeah, that was, like, probably the most important moment where I was, like, I appreciated my career for what I did and the journey that I'd been on and, the you know, how it had sort of shaped me as a person. And, yes, I didn't win a premiership, but I think I finally found that ultimate fulfilment that I was talking about before yeah. came in the way I made people feel, whether that be our supporters, teammates, anyone sort of that I met along the journey that actually got to know me and understand who I was, that they'll sort of always remember the impact or influence that you had on them. And I was like, that's what that's what means the most to me, irrespective of whether I have a fucking premiership medallion or, or you know, I played in the game or not. Like I, I've found what my fulfilment is kind of thing. That's my journey. Um, and then ultimately, like since then, I'm like shifting my mindset out of that few weeks of struggle and feeling sorry for myself almost. Man, life, life is good. That's awesome, man. I I just love everything you've said there. Like I love the fact that sometimes, and I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but sometimes when like the, the, the bad shit happens, we learn so much more from it. We end up being better in the long yeah. run. Versus like imagine this perspective, like this incredible perspective that you've got now 
if you win the flag, you probably don't have that. Nah, I, I actually, so that's like, you sound like, I swear I've heard that before. It's like yeah. deja vu. I reckon my wife said something real similar to me. Mm. And I was like, so true. Like. You're probably not as like a well-rounded person. Yeah, 100%. Like, and that's, it sort of comes back to that. It's like the old adage of people like, you know, they're, they're struggling and they're, you know, they're facing difficult times. It's like, I'm going to buy a new car or. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. Like I was fueling myself in completely the wrong way kind of thing. And I think through my whole journey, it's like it's not even about that. It's more about the connections and how you made people feel and that actually was the thing that brought me fulfillment and allowed me to move forward. Whereas like if you win a flag, it's like what's the next thing kind of thing. Whereas I almost felt like I could just be like, that's me, this is my career and now I'm going to start a whole new journey and I can't wait kind of thing without any sort of, I wasn't looking back in the rear view. So there you have it. That was Nathan Jones from episode 145. Make sure you go and listen to the full app. It was uh, it was really, really cool. And, and one that when we were doing the snippet, I was sort of looking back through a few of the, the parts and um, and just really enjoyed it. Found myself listening to it for a while, if I don't say, my so, uh, if I don't say so myself, which is a little bit weird, listening to your own voice. Next up, we had Mason Cox, who is another top 10 BNF podium finisher. Um, we've spoken about this one a fair bit, and again, it reflects where he finished on the ladder, but um, really, really cool chat. I think the one that surprised me about this one was just, we see a lot about him in the media and, and on Twitter, and he is very vocal, but, you know, you, you once you get to know him as a person, um, yeah, he's just a really, really awesome guy. And what he's done when you really break it down, move to another country, meet a whole new network of people, be able to play in the AFL and, and dominate the absolute stage is is incredible, as you've seen he did in in the prelim finals, which was absolutely huge. And, yeah, in this chat we we broke it down, had a really, really cool chat with him and, and even went into the depth, with the, the depth of his eye injury, which was a lot bigger than um, I had thought about in the past. But, yeah, he broke down the whole story for us, which was crazy. And not just the, the physical pain he went through, but I suppose the toll that took on him mentally being able to be stuck in his room. But um, here it is. Have a listen and and, uh, and see what he had to say about it. Your eye. Mm. Talk us through yes. it. You mentioned it earlier. Um, first injuries in the grand final. Um, obviously, at the moment, wearing the glasses to protect the eye. How serious is this and what actually happened to, to start the injury? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It's, jeez, um, oh, man, the first, like I said, the first, I guess, injury happened in the grand final and I didn't know it actually happened. So it wasn't until I actually had the injury on the other eye. So my right eye was poked in the grand final and then um, about a year later, or sorry, about, Oh, maybe seven or eight months later, mm. I was playing against Gold Coast in the Rock, and um, well, the other Rockman came down. I won't say his name because I've yet to play against him since. But um, came down and he accidentally got his finger in my eye and actually ripped off half my retina. And um, what happened was I was kind of like, you know, you get poked in the eye, you kind of see the stars and stuff. It like, is honestly one of the most underrated pains in the world getting poked in the well, eye. It wasn't really painful. Was a weird thing. Oh. It was just like I couldn't see. And you know, like usually in like five minutes, you know, your vision comes back, you're fine. Yeah. I played out the rest of the half and I came into the locker and I started seeing these dots everywhere. I said, this is very different from any other eye poke I've ever had. And I went to the doctor and I said, hey, just flag this. Just let you know something seems a bit off with my vision. I can't really see too well. And he goes, oh, I'll bring you in. So he looks at me and he actually, I've got a photo and it's the pupil is actually like off-centered. And um, he kind of looked at me and whenever a doctor looks at you and kind of gets a bit of a worried face mm. and starts not really knowing what to do next, I guess, at times and um, goes a bit 
kind of quiet. You kind of know you're in, you're pretty serious. And um, he goes, no, nah, you're going straight to hospital. And I was, I was not in pain. So I was kind of like, what do you mean? Like, I'm fine. I'll go play the rest of the game. We'll be good. Whatever. Like, I'll, I'll sort it. We'll sort it after the game. Whatever. He goes, no, nah, you need to go to the hospital right away. So we um, waited for an ambulance. The ambulance took forever. So we just took a car over to um, the Ioneer Hospital. And um, oh, it was a Sunday, so they didn't have the private hospital open. So oh, I sat God. there in full game kit, essentially, in the waiting room. <laughs> like, like boots, it, like yeah, everything. Like, I had the boots off, but yeah. like, <laughs> I essentially had full Collingwood kit on. I was just sitting there like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, what is this? And I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't in any pain. So it's was yeah. kind of like, oh, this would be fine. This would be fine. And I went in and got checked out and the doc came back and he goes, I've got some bad news to tell you. And I said, yeah, yeah what is it? And he goes, you've detached um, half your retina and your left eye. And um, the, the doctor thought originally that I had uh, dislocated my lens. Uh, but what happened was actually essentially he got his fingernail in there and detached the retina from the actual eye. So oh um, it's pretty, pretty grim and gross. And I kind of was just like, oh, this is so weird. Like, I, I just don't understand it. Like, I can, everything's blurry. It's all dots over or whatever. And he goes, I've got some more info I need to tell you. And I said, what is that? And he goes, well, your other eye, your good eye, the one that wasn't poked, has actually got a detached retina also that's been there for a while. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you've essentially come in for one eye and you've come out with two bum eyes. So was that the one previously? So that was from the grand final, yeah. So I had no idea and I was just playing with it. And I was like, whatever. It just kind of seemed like I had a bit of a lot. You know, you get tired and you kind of lose a bit of vision. You're kind of like, oh, I'm exhausted. Well, I guess that was the reasoning. I couldn't see as well. So essentially, you know, the next day with the surgeon, uh, talked to him about what we we're going to do. And he essentially said, yeah, we're going to have to reattach your eye, put a heavy liquid in there. And then uh, that'll be the first surgery. And then cryotherapy on the right eye will be the second surgery. And then we'll have to do another surgery to take the heavy liquid out. Um, and it went through this whole kind of process of different surgery that I would have to have. And yeah, we got after the first one was probably the most serious one where he actually had to like essentially sew my eye back together um, in my left eye. And, and five years, 10 years ago, you just lose it. You just wouldn't have an eye and you'd yeah. be one-eyed. Um, and I'd be a one-eyed calling a supporter. So um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, so yeah, so essentially I went in and he sewed it up and I sat there and he goes, for the next, <laughs> so he goes, for the next two weeks, for 45 minutes of every hour, you're going to have to be positioned on your back. And you can't move. Fuck. For two weeks straight. So sorry, say that again. For 45? 45 minutes of every hour, you'd have to be on your back and you couldn't move. So you could get up, you could go to the toilet. So for 45 back minutes of each back. hour, all, all day. All day. I'd have to be on my back staring at the ceiling. With eyes closed or open? Uh, well, I couldn't see. Yeah. So it didn't oh, matter. Yeah. I was blind. Well, I couldn't, there's no, there's no vision. I couldn't see. So essentially we had, I had probably five or six different bottles I had to do, you know, eye drops in and stuff. And because I couldn't actually read anything, you I could just see. You could, go, you could go crazy. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing that plays in your mind is, am I ever going to be able to see again? Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing that was going through my head yeah, of like, is this actually honest, going to become yeah. better? Is this vision going to come back or is this how it's going to be Was this both forever? eyes or one at the so time? So the first one I had two surgeries in one essentially. I had the left eye got sewn all the way up and the right one had cryotherapy on yeah. it. So yeah. I couldn't really see out either and I'd. I was sitting there, I'd just broken up my missus at that time. Um, and I was in a one-bedroom apartment living on my own. And I remember sitting there in the darkness and not even being able to read my phone for the people that were calling me or texting me. I had no inclination of what was going on. I just had to sit there and stare at the ceiling. And um, I would ask Siri to play podcasts, you know, and I remember playing, you know, this this one about the, you know, the first people going to the moon and all these kind of things just to pass the time. And 
Um, yeah, for 45 minutes every hour for two weeks straight, I'd sit on my back in a dark room, essentially blind, couldn't see. And I was my vision was so bad that I can only kind of make out maybe like a color of, you know, like this would be silver or that would be like brown. And um, I had these droplets and I essentially had to get a friend to come over and just put a highlighter to it and just make it bright pink. So I knew the bright pink one I've got to take three times a day for, you know, however many times, blah, blah, blah. And then the bright blue one would be two times a day. And then the, the white one would be five times a day, whatever it was. And sat there in a dark room for about two weeks with my thoughts and thought, you know, is my AFL career over? Am I ever going to play again? What's going to happen? Am I ever going to see again? And um, I remember out of that whole thing, I kind of didn't really tell too many people, I guess, how serious it was. But we mentioned this guy early in the podcast. And there's one person that's always kind of looked after me and has always kind of been a bit of a somewhat of a father figure for me in Australia. And um, he's the only person, I guess, from the club that messaged me after the surgery. And it was Eddie McGuire. And I thought of all people in the world, the guy who's probably the most, the busy out of everyone, he was president at the time, uh, for him to grab his boy to say, mate, if you need anything, let me know. I'll Uber eat stuff to you. I'll get, you know, I'll get the boys to come drop something off. Whatever it is, anything you need, just let me know because I know you're away from family. So... It's little things like that that, you know, whenever people actually give a damn about you, whenever you're in some of your tough times and some of the hardest times in your life. And um, he reached out with something I'll never forget and I always have a soft spot for him. And we always do dinners every Christmas together. He's always looked after me since I'm away from family. So I've always had um, a, a very, very soft spot for him and he's always kind of looked after me. But so essentially I go through the, that two weeks. Um, so whenever we had COVID and I was like two weeks in the hotel room is actually not too bad yeah. comparatively. So... I did that and then um, essentially from there he took the liquid out of my left eye um, and put a, a gas in there and the gas bubble eventually kind of seeped out and you got back to that. So um, yeah and then I eventually over time just started to get my vision back and be able to see a bit better and everything else. My season was done. I knew I was, I was done. I remember we were in I think like a you know quarterfinal or something. We were playing Geelong and I couldn't even tell who was on what team. I couldn't, I couldn't see. I couldn't see who was on the field and who was wearing what stripes and had no idea. I had to ask people, you know, did Jesus we kick that goal? Did, you know, how did we go? Or I just essentially based on other people's reactions. And um, yeah, and then the next year essentially is COVID. And you can imagine going through the rehab of this, not really being able to have proper surgery. Like, you know, after the surgery, I couldn't actually check in with my doctor because we weren't allowed to go see doctors. And we got shipped off to Perth um shipped all over the you know all over australia and i remember being in perth and being totally locked down but having this issue of not being able to see properly through my eyes and my vision essentially was totally changed so now i've got a bit of a correction in my eyes and my left pupil doesn't um doesn't constrict anymore um so you can probably uh, at times you can see is whereas my left pupil is a lot bigger on my right so if it's sunny out then essentially my left pupil doesn't constrict the amount of light that comes into your eye Therefore, it feels like you're looking into the sun. Yeah, so right. whenever I play, people say, oh, why are you wearing sunglasses? And it's because it actually dissipates the amount of light that comes into my eye. So that's the reason there's a tint to it, uh, which is kind of crazy, the whole thing. And then obviously, um, if I get a finger in the eye again, I'll go blind, no doubt. So they're not only one for vision, but also two for protection. Um, so it's a unique look. It's definitely a unique look in the AFL, but um, it's it's purely, I guess, a medical thing now. So. Isn't, it, isn't it crazy like, to hear that story now, like fucking hell, I think anyone would be like, I'd wear glasses 100%. But the way perceived in the media, it was just like, Mason Cox just wants to wear sunnies. Like, I felt like that was like the message <laughs> that was Mason going Cox through. Wearing speed dealers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I didn't really appreciate the way it was taken, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think it was pretty well known, I guess, what had happened. And I've told the story a few times. And 
as a as a media personality who's going to comment on those things, I find it that it's their duty to know the background of it yeah. and make comments on it. And I think there's quite ignorant, um, I guess, conversation around it. Um, I will say, but it's just part of the media, man. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we in Australia have the most qualified media department in the world. Okay. Um, there are some amazing people out there. Don't get me wrong, but I think. Um, I won't go too into it, but I think there's definitely some people in room for improvement, as as there always is. Um, but with the yeah, with the sunnies and everything else, man, it was um, it was a long road to recovery, and I didn't it's know kind of where really things would happen again. Yeah. And um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to still play footy, and it's it's been a grind at times. Don't get me wrong, but um, I've been fortunate enough with this company called iSports.com.au. They make these custom you know goggles essentially what they are and they do all kinds of stuff from helmet visors to ski goggles and everything else that makes them uh, custom prescription so they're based out of colac and i remember having to drive two and a half hours out to colac just to figure out what kind of tint i wanted you know different colors you know and um, the different kind of corrections yeah. and getting checked out by them and everything else so it's it's been a process and um it's 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 going well now it's it's somewhat back to normal it's kind of retraining your brain to see a footy come at your head yeah just kind of crazy to think it's you have awesome. to do that at 30 years old but yeah. um yeah it's 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 been another challenge in my life and it's another part of the the whole i think experience and um part of the journey which is um very unique within itself there you have it. That was Mason Cox, episode 143. Make sure you go back and, and check that one out if you haven't already. Moving on to third place in the Dylan Friends BNF. He was absolutely flat with the third place. He wanted the victory, which, by the way, you know, he, he rightfully could have taken. Uh, this had to be one of the most just on the edge of my seat episodes that I'd sort of listened to this year. I was so interested in, in what BT had to say. I uh, mentioned it in the BNF episode, but it was just a bit like, what the fuck? Like BT's actually coming in to have a chat with us. It was it was really cool. And this was episode 147 with him. Um, obviously touched on so many parts. And, and the one part that I really enjoyed was the difference between BT and Brian Taylor. Uh, but this snippet now talks to the the help and I suppose the, the best commentators that he's worked with. I think he speaks a lot about uh, Bruce McAvaney here and just the impact and the preparation and what it actually takes to be a commentator, how people like to prepare, how, uh, you know, Bruce prepared versus how he instinctually prepared. And, um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. It was an awesome insight into the art and craft of, uh, of commentary. Here it is. I've had lots of help from the best people along the way, McAvaney, yeah. you know, towards the end of – not towards the end of my career, but in, in the television side of things. Wow, what a great – person and coach he is you know he actually prefers this is the opposite to commentators because we're all very selfish uh, he actually prefers that you call the big moment that you have the most important part of the game and he taps you on the back and he encourage, he almost rubs your back he gives you a back rub and says you know you're going well brian oh it's special uh, and and he just um you know he's he's sort of weird but he's great because he's so encouraging i loved working with bruce because he he knew when you needed a dash of confidence yep. and he knew when to inject that into you and he knew when to laugh and he also knew when to pull you up and say, hey, don't reckon you should go there, you know, let's go in a different direction. And he was probably in the end the best hands-on coach while we were actually doing the job. This guy is one of the best commentators in the world. He's not the best commentator in Australia. He's one of the best commentators yep. in the world. And, uh, you know, to hear him when he goes to the Olympic Games and, and you hear him at the races and all of that sort of stuff. He's, he's bloody amazing. His knowledge is incredible of stuff. He will arrive at a game of footy McAvaney. He will arrive having done 
a week's worth of homework, all handwritten, nothing done on a computer, all handwritten. He cuts articles out of the paper and stips them in the book and he, he opens it up and it's this, you know, th- thesaurus of information. Absolutely incredible. But he will have maybe maybe 2,000 pieces of information about the game you're doing. Now, I arrived with about six pieces of information, right, because he's different to me. He's information-based, I'm emotion-based in, in what I call. But the thing that most amazes me about the 2,000 pieces of information that he brings along, all handwritten and pasted, is that he might only use 15 or 20 of them and he's prepared to throw out the rest. So all that toiling during the week He's prepared to throw that away and not use it just because he wants to get the bits that fit the moment. And I think a lot of commentators today do that homework and they try and ram the 2,000 pieces down your throat and it annoys, annoys me. And, but it is – everyone is different. Some people need information. If I'm calling with an information-based caller – then I don't want to be supplying information. Mm. I just want to be supplying raw emotion that goes with the game. That's where I feel I do my my best work. I, I found that, like, just on personally, like I was thinking about how I would prepare for a show and just, like, knowing what to say and where I want to take it. But then when the conversation flows, I find that's when I'm in my best. Yeah. Like, not even looking at the notes. Yeah. Like it's, just, it's just in there. With Bruce, what's a memory that sticks out to you the most? Like, is there a part when you were just like, fuck me, I can't believe this, but this is incredible. Like, is there a few times sitting in the box next to him, you were like, this is, this is special? Well, from a generosity point of view, I think the, the moment that sticks out most in my mind was when Richmond were about to win their first premiership since 1980 in 2017. And as a commentator, you call about 30 or 40 seconds each and then you tap the guy on the shoulder and it's yeah. his turn. Well, we're coming towards the end of the 2017 grand final and it was obvious that Richmond were going to win. McAvaney, it was about a minute to go in the game, McAvaney's calling, and I'm thinking, shit, if he's calling now and we do 30 or 40, I'm going to be calling the last 20 seconds. And that's what every commentator's probably dream is, to want to call the last 20 seconds of the grand final, because that's the part that that's, that's the part that stays forever. Yeah. In 30 years' time when they show Richmond winning that premiership, it'll be the final siren and just that sentence that goes with Richmond winning. And I thought, shit, I don't know what I don't know how to describe Richmond's, you know, thirty years of bloody being in the doldrums. So I quickly hit the button down to the down to the truck, the broadcast truck down underneath the car park, and I said to our guy, or Bruce's guy, actually, Josh Kay, he's a wonderful person, best stats man I've ever met, got an incredible memory. And I said to Josh, look, I don't know what I'm gonna how I'm gonna describe Richmond's last thirty years and they're gonna win today. And he just quick as quick as a flash. He's blurted out this line that just perfectly summed it up. I can't remember exactly what the line was, but he blurted out this line and so I went with that line uh, because you only have 10 seconds once the siren goes to sum it up and then you've got to be quiet and let the emotion take over and let the pitchers tell the story. There you have it. That was BT. Uh, get back, listen to that one. Um, he's a star, Brian, so we all love him. Oh, well, I am hope we all love him because I bloody love him, that's for sure. Next up, Dyson Daniels. Hasn't this man absolutely taken off? Episode 142, playing for the Pelican... The Pelicans, obviously, that's my team that I love and I support. Go Pelicans. We love you. We know you're doing well. We know you're trying. Get that flag, my friend. Get that silverware. Let's go, Pelicans. We love you. Plenty of hoops. Plenty of three-pointers. But in saying that, love this chat with Dyson. Awesome guy. It was so cool to get him in prior to being picked up. And and as we said, we got him in nice and early so that we, um, you know, obviously interested in his story. being an Australian guy from Bendigo and and now playing in the NBA, which is is absolutely 
monster. It's a it's a massive massive effort, really, when you think about it, to get over there and be playing. And, and hasn't he set the world alight now? I, I do joke around a little bit, but I am following him. Um, I don't watch a lot of the games, but I am following his progress. I know how many of my mates I watch it, love watching him play. So here was a bit of a chat um, that we had with him with the impact of the Boomers and Australian other guys that have been, you know, like Josh Giddy and Ben Simmons that have gone over and, and sort of been able to dominate as well as guys like Joe Ingalls and, and Paddy Mills as well, which have, have already been there, done that and doing good things. So this was uh, Dyson Daniels. Who who are some of the guys that you like look to as like mentors maybe in the NBA at the moment that you, you look to and have conversations with about that? Yeah, so like Josh Giddy, Joe Ingalls, you know, I've talked to Matisse Thibel a fair, fair bit. Um, and then there's also Daly who's um, here in the NBA now, Matthew Dalvadova. So they're probably the main guys that I talk to, um, you know, the Australians, um, you know, that have my back as well. And mm. I think, like you said, the boomers have such a good culture and they just know who every – like they know – people who are coming through the ranks they know they know everyone and they, they're really invested in australian basketball which is um which is really good for the junior junior pathway coming through because you know you know that the seniors have your back yeah oh, the, mate, the boomers make my heart smile it mm. feels like it's just the best bunch of people like in that it makes you proud to for be sure. australian like watching them go and i want to talk about that but before we do there's one part that i was thinking before and i, I don't think you'll have any trouble with this whatsoever but how do you have you have you thought about you know, kid from Bendigo, going to play NBA, mm. and you go to the NBA, and you're, you're going to be international. Like you're going to be international yeah. loan. Like it's going to blow up. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Mm. One, firstly, you have to remember me. Secondly, <laughs> it's how have you thought about like is it hard to stay grounded in that situation? Like you know, not not mm. that you're going to get ahead of yourself or anything like that, but more just like going fuck. It's hard not to get taken away because yeah. you are literally massive. Exactly. Like, I mean. Even now, I'm not in NBA, and I go back home. You know, everyone everyone knows me out yeah. there. So, um, it's for me, it's not hard because you know I'm a humble guy. I love to you know kick it with my friends. You know, catch up with people that you know I grew up with. So, I think um, you know some people can you know get ahead of themselves and be like, I'm better than you, like that that, that mentality. But I don't have that mentality. I have the mm. mentality of like everyone. You know, everyone's equal. Um, and for me, I've just got God gifted talents and, you know, I've taken them, you know, and taken them and, you know, gone and worked with them to, you know, be in the position I am today. But, um, you know, I'm a humble guy. Whenever I'm back in Bendigo, I'm acknowledge anyone yeah. you know, that comes up to me. Um, I'll take a photo, I'm a sign autograph, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So, you know, I'm a humble guy and, you know, being from Bendigo, I just want to help inspire people to, you know, you know, be like, not, be like me and, yeah. you know, just, um, take the next steps and, you know, just continue to continue to push yourself and you know have the mentality of you know you can do anything you yeah. want if you put your mind to it so. there's uh i think you know you said you're a god-given talent which I, you know i can agree with but i think there's a lot of hard work there i don't want to undersell that um but yeah it's interesting i was just thinking then about what you're saying with like being humble and i totally agree but is it right that they like there has to be nearly a point as well like i'm contradicting myself with the next question because i'm saying you have to nearly be misunderstood and you nearly probably have to cut a few not not cut yeah. people but you have to narrow your focus like you, you hear of guys like the best players in the world like you know kobe Bryant, and mm. people like oh this guy i don't understand him but to get that good you have to be like that yeah i think um it is you know it's, it's important to keep your your close circle um mm. and know who's in your close circle and um you know obviously i got a few close friends my family's in there my yeah. agent you know people who i really trust are in my close circle and you know, going through, you know, there's a lot of money involved. So people are going to keep coming in, you know, maybe that you know, but you don't know as well that, you know, they, they want to get a little bit of money out of you and they want to get into your close circle. And sometimes, you know, you just got to, you know, 
push them away a little bit because you know you know what they're trying to achieve off you and you know what your goals are but mm. um for me i have my close circle i know who's in it and then like um i know who to go to if i have something that um that i need dealt with or so i think it's 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 important to you know know who you trust and then obviously you don't want to just be like stuff you to like some people but some people need that because yeah you know they they try they try hard to you know get something out of you or get something off you so you've fucking absolutely nailed it like i wish i knew that at your age because i'm like just working that shit out now yeah so you've got a really good head on your shoulders and um yeah i'm excited for to to see you uh dominate over there and Mm -hmm. and as i said just dealing friends in that close circle would be really really (laughs) nice to stay really nice to stay in that (laughs) circle for sure for sure Um, nba players give us like we love a name drop here Mm -hmm. give us some guys that you've sort of like crossed paths with um on the court firstly or even just off the court, mm-hmm. like any guys taking on their wing, you know, take it to some nightclubs or who, and sorry, who would you model your game off in the NBA? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say any NBA players have really taken me under the wing, but, mm. you know, I think... They're probably scared. Yeah. And worried. <laughs> but I, t- I had a teammate of mine, Poo Jitter, um, who he's 30, 38 now. I'm sorry if you're younger than that, but... Um, <laughs> Like he, uh, he, he was on my team. He took me under his wing as soon as I came in, knowing that, you know, I'm from another country, I'm young, you know, it might be tough, you know, transitioning here. And like he took me under his wing straight away. And for the entire season, he had my back. You know, he plays the same position as me, so he was able to teach me so much. I learned so much of him. Um, and, you know, just to be able to communicate, him, communicate to him and know that, you know, he has my back and, um, you know, I got his back was it was, it was special because it is tough, you know, moving to a whole new country on your own um, when you're at such a young age. And just knowing that he had my back the whole time was, um, you know, it was great for me. And obviously, you know, I've talked to a few NBA players like I named before and like I have my agent and um, a few agents in in my um, in Octagon who I'm with, you know, that take me under their wing and take me out for a bit of fun sometimes. So, you know, that's always good. And I think you know it's important being able to you know have those type of people you know when you move move across countries and because you know it can be tough to you know make friends sometimes especially in the basketball world when you're not really set anywhere you're just flying all over all the time so I think you know just making sure that you know you have those type of people that mm. are able to you're able to have fun with but also you know have your back. It's probably something as well like you you mentioned that then and, and before that I was thinking about it, it's like this life of an NBA player seems super glamorous, but you are literally flying everywhere all the time. It's tough. Like I didn't play an NBA season this year, but I played, I played half of what an NBA season looks like. And it's like people don't understand how tough it is. Like, like mentality, like the mentality you have to have. And you know, it it, it really does, you know, affect your mind if you're not, if you're not in the right spot. And um, I think NBA players are so mentally tough. The things they have to deal with every night, you know, whether it be abuse, you know, in the game, people, People are going to hate you no matter what when you're up that high. Yeah. You know, even if you do everything right, people are going to find something to, you know, pick out and, you know, hate on you for. So you have to be so mentally tough. And for me, you know, I've copped it as well. Um, and I just block it out. I think yeah. that's the best thing for me. If you block it out, ignore it, then but they don't like I see tweets. I see like people tag me and things on Insta that I don't want to see. But if I don't like reply to it, I don't like like it or yeah, anything yeah. like they can't see that I've seen it. So they're basically just wasting their time. But like you have to be so mentally tough to be able to play, you know, in any sport at high level because, you know, there are there's so much coming at you, whether it be good, bad, you know, like there's just so much that oh, you have okay. to deal well, with. Look at like what Ben Simmons had to go through like exactly. last year with like the, you know, the Philly like saga. Yeah. Like that seemed 
unbelievable. Like the stress that he would have been under. It's tough. And the worst thing for him was he was in Philadelphia, which is one of the hardest places to, to play because, you know, the, the fans there, they will come at you. And, um, you know, he, um, you know, whether he dealt with it in the right way or the wrong way, you know, that's that's not my, my thing to say. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he you just got to be so mentally tough yeah. to be able to play sport these days. Yeah. You know? yeah. So there you have it. That was Dyson Daniels. Can't wait to see what's uh, in store for him in 2023. I'm sure big, big things. Next up, uh, 160, Job Watson. Wow, what a um, what a character, what a incredible guy um, coming in sharing his story. Which obviously, um, you know, anyone who who follows footy knows, you know, what an incredible character he is. What a awesome, awesome stuff he's done on the field and and even better things off the field and the, the role that he played in supporting his friends, family, and teammates and sort of bearing the load of the old Essendon saga years ago um this episode was awesome just hearing you know his perspective of the whole situation um and then who he is outside of that i loved hearing about his businesses in morning joe and getting over to the us and getting that perspective but here's a little snippet from that episode 160 if you haven't heard it already please make sure you do um yeah on his experiences and how what a toll that took on him and, and moving over to the us and and doing everything he did here it is a week before the season starts we get told that we can play so you know like we had up until that point we had no certainty about whether or not we were going to be banned and then halfway through 2015 they came out and said uh wada came out and said that we will challenge the hearing and so we had to go back to the uh cas which was the um the legal uh court for that hearing that wada had challenged which didn't happen until november 2015 so i had to go up to, to sydney and and be part of that case and then then we didn't find out until the middle of January that we were then banned. So that was 2016. So if you think about the timeline, it's sort of uh, 13, 14, 15, start of 16, you find out that you're banned for 12 months. So by that stage, I was, you know, exhausted and um, and just had had enough, really. Couldn't see myself being in Melbourne anymore, didn't want to be here. I found myself to be very uh it was a very unhappy place for me to be here. So uh, I really wasn't other than any reason that I felt it was really necessary to, to leave. You know, I didn't feel like I could stay here anymore um, and I didn't want to. So I always, you know, people always sort of like who travel, they like want to live in London or want to live in New York. For me, it was always New York, you know, like I had two friends who were there and um, I loved American sport. I'd always been a huge fan of um, the NFL and been to New York a few times. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going, um, I'm leaving. And uh, packed up my bags, um, booked an Airbnb for two and a half weeks in, in Brooklyn and the left, everything else, I had no idea what I was going to do, but that's what I did. That's how I sort of left. Unbelievable. The but, saddest thing was saying goodbye to my puppy. <laughs> oh, no. So I, had a, I got a puppy, in, uh, a bulldog, and uh, uh, he arrived at the middle of November and then I had to say goodbye. <laughs> I was oh, in tears <laughs> when I had to say, give Who him his last Who did he move food. in with? No, well, I lived with four other guys. Oh, okay. So they looked after him, but oh, I was devastated to, to have to say goodbye to him. What, um, and again, wherever you're happy to go with this, but like that time I can only imagine – where you're like where you're at after a three-year period exhausting period mentally you know you're the captain you're the leader of this club you're having to front the media you have to front the courts you're having to front the australian public and being the news about this stuff like how exhausting did that get for you like how were you how were you coping um 
Well, I don't think that I was coping very well with it, really, to the point where I knew that I had to leave for my well-being. Yeah. You know, like that was where I felt like it was at for me. Um, and it life had become very, very – my world had become very small and become very insular sort of. And uh, it was just – it was no no longer a, a, a want. It was more I needed to, to get out of here, you mm. know, like it just wasn't – um, wasn't going to be sustainable for me to, to stay. What did what did um, what perspective did getting over to the states give you? Like what what sort of process did you go through to to get there? And how how did you feel when you got there? Well, I think the, the first time I felt like I was starting to uh, begin to heal was I'd become so used to walking with my head looking at the ground in Melbourne, so I didn't have to make eye contact with people, and um, invariably you bump into a lot of things. But you by the I realized after about a week or two in New York, I started looking up when I was walking. And that was when, like, you know, you go through these steps of a, a healing process. And that was sort of one of the things I thought, oh, I'm actually, you know, it's nice to be able to look people in the eye when you're walking past them or to be able to see things and, and feel like you're sort of engaging in a life rather than just trying to survive a life. Um, and so that was one of the first things that I sort of felt like I was, uh, there was some improvement being made. I can imagine that being such a, a crazy time as well, because you're in a, in Melbourne, you're probably one of the most well-known figures in the AFL land. You get over to a country, no one knows who you are, which is in some ways it's um, refreshing, yep. as you've said, but also you, you're dropping your ego. You, you're starting from scratch. Yeah. Was that good? It was. Yeah. 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 For me, it was. It was what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, I, I just, I loved um you know, just being part of and immersing myself in a in a city or an environment or a neighbourhood or wh- uh, wherever I was, and just um, absorbing it. You mm. know, because I think that being here, it was there was I was trying to reflect everything and and um, and push everything away. Where uh, and so you just sort of like you're existing, but you're not really living. Um, whereas when I was over there, I started to immerse myself in the environment that I was in mm. um, and that became such a, a change from what I've been doing here. You, you spoke about that healing process. The first step was to, to lift your head. What other perspective did you get from being overseas? Like, is there anything really stand out to you now going, fuck, like this was the moment? Because I think, you know, without going something so publicly like that, but when you are overseas and being out of your own country and being out of your bubble, you really do realize how small part you are. No matter how big a situation can seem, like you're just a clog in a chain in this universe that you can really get out of. Yeah, you can get in your own world, can't you? Mm. And and you become your own worst enemy. And so, you're exactly exactly right. Like that that perspective was such a um like a, a wonderful thing. And you know, you you go in New York and uh, like people don't give a shit anything about you like that that, that is the, the city you know like no one cares about your, your problems no one cares about what you're doing everyone there's just this, all these narcissists there who are only caring about themselves but the city works you know like and yeah. that's um and that so that gives you a great perspective of like well you know there's no one here who gives a shit about anything about your life so you know go and live your own thing live your own truth sort of thing so um you know, for me, it was like I started to say, you know, like yes to things. I started to open myself up. Mm. I started to, um, you know, enjoy doing things again, and um, 
and that was a real change, a real shift, and and that sort of opened up all these doors for me. Um, and that was that that mentality of you know like just wanting to try new things. There you have it, Joe Watson. Check that one out, episode one sixty. Next up, this was a really cool special episode over in Scotland, one hundred and fifty two. Just to set the scene on this too, Lucas Herbert. Um, this is when we went over to Scotland to see the Open, the British Open, that is, and we're over there. Big uh, Espone and myself, and we ran into Lucas Herbert, who, when you think about it, that's like the biggest competition of the year. He's over there trying to do his thing, and he invited us over to his house to record a podcast midweek just after he'd played golf with Phil Mickelson. It's a pinch yourself moment, that's for sure. So, yeah, had this chat with him, country boy from uh, from Bendigo, incredible outlook on life, living over in the US, and I think it was really cool. Like it was, a, it was a massive eye opener for me having this chat. A lot of people that I'd spoken to, sporting, you know, you always want to get to that pinnacle. And, and not saying that he didn't, but he had this really cool outlook on his life um, and what he'd been able to achieve over there when he's playing golf. Um, talking about, you know, he didn't want to be Tiger Woods. He's happy being top fifty in the world. To have this incredible life where he travels and takes his family and friends and his team around and earns great money to to be able to do the things he loves and I think he was sort of saying the fact that you know of course he's he's going to try the best he can but he, he doesn't the the difference of being him versus Tiger Woods not being able to leave your front house at the end of the day he wants to be a guy that can go back to Bendigo one day and and just enjoy his life the way it is so I just really liked it it was really refreshing to hear that message and I think it's something that we you know athletes in general or anyone in business you can get caught up going you want to be the best you can possibly be which is is super admirable and i think i've fallen in that trap as well being like fuck you know do i want to be joe rogan and it's like well i don't actually think i do i think i just want to be myself and be able to do the things i like and be in my garden and play golf and have friends and family and 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 be able to do all those things so Again, not comparing myself to uh, to Lucas or Joe Rogan, but it was just a, a part of a bit of an eye-opener for me in that sense. So here it is. Have a listen. When we were chatting a while back, you were saying that you'd listened to a couple of the pods before. Mm. I think you mentioned, was it Emma Murray that you listened to or who, who were you listening to? Through? I listened to a fair few. Yeah. Um, top of my head, like Clarko, we were just talking about Clarko yeah. before. I listened to that one. Um, listened to Caleb Daniel. Yep. Um, Chris Judd. And not so much for not so much for a promotion of the pod, but more just going like, what what have you learned from from operators like that? Like, what are things that I suppose even professional golfers, mentors like your caddy, what are things mm. like that have helped you so much with your mindset in this space around golf? Because as we said, it's it is such a, a mental sport. Yeah, it's interesting. I always I really enjoy listening to like other athletes the yeah. way they approach life, the way they approach their sport. Like AFL, AFL, I find very interesting. Like. Obviously, like obviously I've talked about it a lot it's like it's kind of our passion away from golf you know like he's getting up at 4am to watch the Tigers play at random days in the year and like you know if there's ever like we'll, I'll be watching the doggies game whilst we're getting ready to you know like all the way up until I go to the range to play a tournament you know if they're, if they're on at the right time like I'll be watching it all through the warm up because it's like that's a bit of our escape I guess and our sense of home um it's also good too, like you watch the, it's like the, the Australian ads come on TV. Yeah. So you're like, oh, uh, the, you know, just a sense of familiarity. Um, it's really interesting to listen to those guys. Um, like one I've listened to earlier this week, which is not a plug for your podcast, unfortunately, but um, Adam Scott and Steve Williams um, recalled like their story about the win in the Masters yep. with Evan Priest. And it was like, it was really interesting because Scotty had just lost the Open Championship like six months earlier he'd bogeyed for the last four holes to lose by one so he had three shot lead seeing on the 15th tee and it was like 
he got rid of it so quickly and he's like, I know I'm playing so good. Like, I just know I'm going to win. And he went into that Masters week going like, basically like if I keep my heartbeat going, I'm going to win this tournament. Mm-hmm. That was like the way he felt. I don't know. I, something about that resonated for me this week. So like, I think like my mindset switched a little bit this week. I've been like, been trying to be really sharp on that first tee, like ready to go. Like the first shot is like we're switched on. It's not, you're not like kind of playing your way into the, into the round it's like we're ready to go it's like the first tee shot is the most is as important as the last shot on Sunday um, so it was like you know just being I was trying to be really sharp with that mm. today and like really like honed in on that and then just like that sense of belief that I'm like you know what like I played really well at the PGA two months ago like I can 100% compete out here with these guys like this is like I can definitely win this tournament and like if I don't try and force things and make them happen too much, just like, just be patient um, and just like stick to you, like stick to your own sort of processes of like, you know, keep that self-confidence level up and like keep that level of focus up for every yeah. shot. Like we're going to be somewhere near it come Sunday. Yeah. I love that, man. I think that's the biggest message always for, for, for young people. If I could ever say it was like when I played footy, I just was happy being there mm-hmm. and I just didn't, didn't go like, I can actually be the best. But know? for some people, that's just what they want too. Yeah. Like, like if that's what you wanted, then like there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think it was what I wanted, but I think it was like you just need. I, I didn't believe in myself enough, and I if you if you don't if you don't if you go out there tomorrow and go, oh, I'm just happy to take part. Like you will take part. Yeah. But if you go out there and go, I can actually, I, I will win this. I can win this. I'm a chance. Like I'm more than a chance. Mm. You'll be more than a chance. Yeah, I guess like. Like, I don't want to be Tiger Woods. Like, yeah. I don't want to be at that level. Um, and I guess, yeah, if, like the AFL equivalent is That's like- That's really cool though. Do you, like, did you want to be Chris Judd? No, <laughs> no, no I like, didn't at all actually. And that's probably like, that's probably another thing as well. Like, I don't know that people outside of sport understand that not every player wants to be the peak elite top of their sport because there's a lot that goes with that. You know, like the toll that takes on your family and your social life- um, to be that selfish to be successful, it's like it's brutal, and you got to be you be a certain type of person to to want that. And it's like, is you know, I've gotten to fortieth in the world, and it's like, let's say I get to fifteenth in the world, being like I am, is being number one in the world that much more gratifying that it's worth the sacrifice that you put on everyone in your family, your friends, you know, that whole side of thing is like. Maybe it's not. Like maybe I want to live this lifestyle. And if I get to 40th as my best, 15th, 5th, 2nd, 1st, whatever it is, like I'm happy with that life that I've lived and I have no regrets because I don't I don't want to be that person that I think everyone almost like want everyone thinks that's what you want to be when you become an elite Man, athlete. I, I, I just did it then. I just like you're so right. You are so right. Like that was I must have been talking absolute shit then because there was no part of me that ever really wanted to be Chris Judd either. Mm. But we do get taught this story of like, if you're not the best of things- You should try and be the best. You should try and be the best. And like, really weird, I've never said this out loud, but in my head, you know, with the podcasting game, I was like, oh, you know, be like Joe Rogan. Like, you know, you you set those high goals in your head. But then I'm like, I couldn't think of anything worse. Like, imagine (laughs) not being like able to do anything. Like, at the moment, like, you know, I'm- I can get by having fun. I'm fucking talking to you on a podcast in Scotland and somehow this is work. Yeah. I'm I'm the most successful person that I would ever want to be. Yeah. Like, imagine you're sitting there and like you've got 
a million people sitting there going, I can't wait for the next Dylan Friends episode. And you're like, I don't have a single guest to bring on this. Mm. I'm going to have to sit here for an hour and talk myself. Like I can't, I've got no one that we haven't spoken to before. That's true. Yeah. You know, like you, that would, yeah, that would break you if you're sitting there going like, I have to be the best podcast in the world. Mm. But if you're like, hey, like we don't need it. We don't even need to do a podcast this week. Like I'm doing this because I just enjoy it. And like if people don't get a podcast for week, that's fine. Yeah. Like, So what's what's your idea of success for you? Like what is, what's your ideal um life look like i don't even i'd struggle to put words on it in a way like i think as long as you could sit there on the rocking chair at 60 years old in some sort of retirement village you know smashing beers at like sitting there waiting for five o'clock to roll around so you could start smashing beers to tell stories with the old folk i think if you could sit there and and not be like yeah i could have been this but i just ah, i just didn't i couldn't be bothered if if it's always i couldn't be bothered i think that would be unsuccessful mm. i think if you were like you know what that was my golf career and like that was everything i wanted to be and i had an absolute blast of a time like i would sit there very happily telling stories for the rest of my life yeah on the uh in the rocking chair or doing whatever i'm doing i think like obviously like with the lov stuff that's come up recently like money becomes a big thing mm. but it's like I come from bendigo like how if, if i was offered 200 million dollars or 20 million dollars like those two figures are going to change my life in the same way. And it's not like I would need $180 million to make my life. <laughs> like that wouldn't, yeah. on a scale, that would not relatively make my life $180 yeah. million better. Yeah. Um, which I'm not going to get offered that. And that's hypotheticals. But like, that's that's who I am as a person. I Like we'll, you know, Bendigo boys, we sit in the pub and tell stories. We don't, we're not sitting there like showing off the things that we bought or the things that we were able to buy with our life. They have it, Lucas Herbert, star, Listen back to that app if you're a golf lover or anything particular. Just, um, yeah, really, really cool. So there he is. And last but not least, our good friend, a Melbourne Demon again, Premiership player, someone that we've really wanted to have a chat to for a long time. From episode 139, it's Angus Brayshaw. Uh, obviously talked about the flag that they won year prior, um, all the incredible things he's doing off the field. And obviously his partner, Danielle uh, Frawley, daughter of Danny Frawley, who tra- tragically lost his life. Um, and, and, and the legacy that the Frawley family are leaving, which has been unbelievable for the footy community, not just the footy community, sorry, but Australia in general of, of mental health and how we can get better. And and it, it, it was a theme that sort of crossed our paths a lot this year as well, going and speaking with Ben Robbins and Jared Ruffhead at St Kilda when they opened the Danny Frawley Centre. I think we see the impact and the messaging from that family of the strength of, of the girls there to, to continue that message on of, of Danny's legacy um, which is really, really special and, and rap that he was able to come on and, and talk about it. So here it is. And how did you guys, I know there's an, I understand there's a pretty crazy story about how you, you guys met because yep. friends and, and Danielle's father's obviously Danny yep. Frawley, um, absolute superstar of our game. Yep. How did you guys meet? So it's a great story for her. Um, for her, not yeah, for you. <laughs> it's a feel good story. Yeah. We, um, so my old man was the CEO of Richmond when he was the coach and there's this classic photo of the two of us um, in like the crash, like the, you know, Childcare when um, the games are on, we're too young to go. So, you know, she's been chasing me ever since, and um, <laughs> finally got there after twenty years. So it's um, good on her. Good on her. No, yeah. so that's obviously a joke. We um, had that. We went to Haleybury together. Went through school. I was the year above her, but you know, we were always just mates. And you know, you're not really. I'm a you know, thirteen, fourteen year old kid at the time. Probably not too worried about who my partner's going to be, and you know, just sort of figuring out what's going on in life at the time. And um, finish school and then we sort of you know go out separate ways and we actually sort of got to back together 
<clears throat> Old Haylebury, uh, the football club. I've got a few mates there, and there's a and Spud um, sort of he's so she's one of three girls, and they were all sort of um, into the footy stuff, and they started the Old Haylebury girls footy team, and um, yeah, we just sort of bumped in at a post game function, and um, geez, that's nearly three years. It would be more than three years ago now. So we've um, yeah, been uh, going strong for it's coming up on three years, but we sort of been you know how, how it goes before then we just talking and all that stuff yeah. so it's been three good years yeah it's an incredible love story isn't it she's um you know feel good story i'm sure they'll do a movie or something about yeah. it yeah oh, well you never know um Rom-com. and and uh, not to to miss on a you know a massive part of the story uh, the the impact you know spud would yeah. have on you and, and not just you know footy but yep. everything else can you talk us a bit about that and obviously I've, I've asked you about this off air to yeah, make sure yeah, you're happy yeah. about talking about this well i think what's been incredible is the work that the girls have done so mm. the the danny frawley center is now open um Chelsea, the elder sister, has been a huge part of that. She works at St Kilda. So they've been massive advocates in the mental health space and, you know, the, the total – they talk about holistic health um, down there. And, you know, it's incredible to watch all the pain and stuff that they've gone through that for something like this to come out the other end of it. And, um, you know, that's super inspiring and I'm super proud of all of them. But, they, you know, they, they, they love talking about mental health and trying to make a difference. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad you've asked because yeah. – uh, that's one of Spud's legacies. It'd be a waste if, you know, people um, didn't take something out of his passing. And this is one of them. So the mental health stuff, yeah. I mean, he, I've sort of known him as we sort of touched on for 20 odd years and <clears throat> maybe not intimately for the first 15, but you sort of uh, see the stories and you hear the reports of the, um, you know, the mental health stuff. And thankfully, like this is, is, is this is my first real experience with it. Obviously, it's been three or so years now, but. When we started going out, it was, um, you know, he was still alive and to watch um, how it sort of impacted their family and um, Danielle in particular, obviously, as my girlfriend, uh, it was it was incredibly, incredibly hard to watch without knowing what much much of what to do. And I think the AFL is good with that stuff. They try and educate and it's, um, you know, well-intentioned, but I, f- I found certainly when I was in there in the thick of it that it was just like, wow, like I... Um, I've, you know, I'm really, str- I don't know what to do here. What do I, do? you know, how do I, what do I say to my girlfriend who's old man's on these ups and downs? And um, it was a, a really hard time for, for not just me, obviously, but, um, you know, their, their whole family. And, you know, there's no easy answer. <clears throat> I, I, that's not a surprise. Um, but I found, I'm, I'm so inspired by the way they, um, you know, stuck together as a family and they are such a loving caring group of people and um obviously people know how the story ends um with spud but um again super proud of how incredibly proud like that's not even the word doesn't come yeah. to, come close to describing the stuff that's happened afterwards i think's an appropriate legacy because he was an incredible man and um for the stuff that's come since the wellness center the um, awareness that he's raised off the back of it which is hard um it's hard to get that I mean, it's hard for the girls, like you know, to say, like, "Geez, like, it's so much good has come from it." Yeah. They've lost their father and husband, but I think, um, you know, it was. Uh, I'm I'm so proud of how they've shifted it and tried to make it into as much of a positive as they can. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, and I think now, I, and even now, since like reflecting personally, I um, have, I, I just feel like I'm so much more well skilled. Like the Danny Frawley Center is just open, but like. The, the lessons that they're trying to teach, I've been learning from the Frawley girls for the last couple of years and I feel like now I'm so much better 
equipped to help my mates and people at the footy club and um, you know we spoke about perspective before and I feel like I've got this whole new perspective on life that um, you know as the mental health stuff becomes more and more um, prevalent and people are more and more prepared to talk about it I think that's a that's a, as a result of this collective um, social shift which is you know blokes like Spud have you know most to, to say about that it's been um it's yeah it's an incredible story but um it's not over yet and um the spud for all the center is open for anyone who wants to get down there i mean it's um a space for people to come and just you know help working in holistic health and um you know i'd encourage even if it like you know you can just ask a mate how you're going and that's something that i wasn't really able to do until you know i learned off the frawley girls mm. um i'm so much better for knowing them and for that da- knowing danielle and if she listens to this then um yeah, I mean it's inspiring. So uh, yeah, good on them all. It is, mate. Well said. Um, I don't, yeah, like you said, then I don't think there is there is no there's nothing to say yeah. that will will make anything um in better in this situation. But I think from from an onlooker and someone who's watched and uh, partaken and admired the way the family's gone about it, it's nothing short of inspirational. Yeah, and, they're and, just incredibly. Yeah. People say you know they're such a strong person and whatever and all that stuff doesn't come close to describing the strength that those girls have uh, yeah. shown in, you know, it's very easy for that to just, you know, just write everything off and forget about it, but it's inspiring. It is. Let's, uh, let's maybe, you know, this year I, I really want to get to around to the, the Spuds game and yeah, and get around it. Um, I know, you know, last year's been hard with COVID and everything, mm. but yeah, what an inspirational man and, and an inspirational family. And Absolutely. It's, uh, it's an honour to even, you know, talk about it in conversation. So, do everything we can there. The girls are doing incredible things and there's plenty, plenty, plenty more to come in that space. And, um, yeah, we had Jack Steele on as well who was talking yep. about the the, um, the wellness centre they got out at St Kilda too, yep. which is which has been a massive hit and, and doing incredible things. So, as you said, the story's not, uh, not forgotten at all and and, um, and still to this day living on doing 100%. awesome stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome so stuff. Good on them. So there you have it, fan. That was Angus Brayshaw. That was all of them again. Recapping from the top, Angus Brayshaw, Cal Toomey, Mason Cox, Nathan Jones, Brian Taylor, Dyson Daniels, Henry Kai, Joe Watson, Lucas Herbert, Matty Lloyd, Nico Hines, Nick Maxwell, Nick Rewalt, and Simon Black. Hope you enjoyed that recap. Um, hope you hope there was something that maybe you learned in there that you didn't pick up last time or if there's one that you didn't listen to that you might now. There it is. Um I hope you're enjoying your holidays or if you're listening to this, wherever you are, IllyXX, hope you're safe. Enjoy your time. And there'll be some more recaps coming very, very soon ahead of season 2023. Thanks so much, Illy. Easter, four days of outdoor adventures, work in the garage or doing stuff around the home or even in the garden. You've got to love that. Bring on the jobs and pile them up. 101 long weekend jobs ready to tackle. You could be in the outdoors, putting your four-wheel drive to the test, tearing down an internal war or maybe putting a new one up, or even repurposing an old wine barrel for an outdoor table. Whatever the task over Easter, Trojan Tools are up for the job. Trojan Tools. Quality tools at DIY prices backed by a lifetime warranty. Available in store or online at Bunnings Warehouse. Trojan. Tools built tough. The AFL season is underway and you can now watch every game of every round live on KO. Games of the round include Carlton vs Richmond on Thursday night. These games don't get much bigger than this and no matter where these teams are on the ladder, it's always a blockbuster. On Friday night, it's Collingwood vs Sydney. Speaking of big games, these two do not 
play a bad one, especially with Brody Grundy and Taylor Adams now playing for the Swans against their old mob, the Pies. And on Saturday afternoon, it's Essendon versus Hawthorne, the line in the sand. Gee whiz, this could be exciting. Two young up-and-coming teams. Watch live now with no ad breaks in play. 4K capabilities have arrived. You can now watch selected AFL games in detail so clear you think you're part of the action. New to KO? Get on board and start your free trial today.